Hello and welcome to the Daily Lawyer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today is yet another episode in our Careers in the Law series and today we are going to be speaking about maritime law. Maritime law, very simply put, is the law of uh, shipping and navigation. For this, we have Mr. Siddharth Ranka, a very experienced maritime law practitioner, a dual qualified lawyer, both in India and as a solicitor in England and Wales, and he's currently working in Dubai. Siddharth has a rounded global experience in maritime law, gleaned uh, not only from working in India but also in major shipping hubs like Singapore and Dubai. He has also he's experienced both a law firm setup and as an in-house lawyer roles, and so all of these are in the field of maritime law. And so Siddharth brings to the table a unique, comprehensive experience of the subject, and I am so thrilled that he generously agreed to share his time and learnings with all of us. Siddharth gives us a big enough friendly introduction to maritime law, speaks uh, about getting a second legal qualification, working abroad, and so much more. This episode is gold, guys, and I cannot wait for you all to listen to it. So please enjoy. Siddharth, thank you so much yeah, for joining me today and for agreeing to speak about maritime law, which is something I don't know anything about other than the spelling. And knowing that it it has something to do with uh, navigation and shipping. And that's the simplest way I can put it. But there's so much more. And you've really had this nice global rounded experience within this one niche, which is very rare for somebody who's passed out when we all have passed out because we were like running after every law firm job that we could get. So it's really rare how you did that at that time. So I wanted to start from the beginning. And can you take us back to... Uh, why did you become a lawyer and from the time to your law school to now, what has your journey been like? Thank you, Jenna. Firstly, uh, I'm super happy to be on this show and just uh, on this podcast rather and then, you know, share a bit of the stories. Uh, listen, I mean, uh, as weird as this sounds, uh, law for me was not a choice from family or any of that sort, you know. Uh, in fact, I had no clue. I had no connection with law whatsoever. Uh, my parents are doctors and anyway. my dad's a doctor. Uh, so I was grow, grow, brought up saying, oh, you should become a doctor always. But anyway, come come, come past my 12th grade. I, I think I had interests outside of my uh, education or, you know, uh, let's say some uh, lady love kind of thing, which probably got me to do uh, join uh the same course as she was doing. So let's put it that way. <laughs> That's how I started law. But you know, the first, I studied in ILS Law College, of course, in Pune. And the first four years of my life, it was like, oh, I really didn't care about going to college. I rarely went to college, as most of us didn't, you know. Attendance wasn't mandatory. But around, so five years of law in ILS, in my fifth year, I started becoming a bit, bit more serious. Uh, I got like asked by the librarian, are you from this university when I was going to the library in the fifth year? Uh, so anyway, five years of law was basically my, the time when people say they're really studying, I was actually just partying around, socializing and meeting people. Uh, come passing my fifth year, I got, I landed up in a job. I found shipping was interesting. It was a niche. Like you said, most people don't know about shipping. I had a friend of mine who had done some exposure in shipping. I thought it was interesting. So I had the choice of doing a master's or going ahead and, you know, uh, or pursuing a job. And uh, 
I didn't want to do corporate corporate work. I thought it was absolutely boring. Uh, sorry for my ignorance, but it was boring according to me where I was. Uh, anyway, I applied for this job in a firm called Bose Mitra in Bombay, which is a Calcutta-based firm, uh, also with an office. It's now the leading shipping firm in the country. And surprise, surprise, they gave me a job. So I stumbled upon a job there. I had my, I'd applied for my master's in maritime law. They, I got the admission at the University of Southampton, but I said, I'm going to defer it so that, you know, so I can study and get some work experience. And really the journey for me as a lawyer uh, began really when I started working for Sinatra. And that was five years. I worked there for like 15 months at the time, but I learned a lot about shipping. You know, from there on, my life is just, I, I fall in love with the subject. It's one of the, I mean, as we keep, you know, we keep talking about this a bit more, it's, it's a unique subject, but it's, uh, it's one of the oldest and most obvious things of law. I mean, shipping is, you know, it's so obvious that it's, and we'll talk about this later. But yeah, so 15 months I was there, I worked there, got a base, then I went and did my master's. Then I worked in Singapore to get some international exposure because shipping has so much international exposure. And, you know, as a lawyer, you learn on jurisdictions. Uh, things didn't work out the best in Singapore, according to me. Uh, I was probably too young to go in. Uh, there were expectations, probably which were different. So I came back to India uh, with the same firm, Bose Metro. Then I worked there for four years again. Until I got offered something with a shipping company and I went to an in-house role, right? And we were discussing about this before, how in-house roles are really taken for granted in India uh, or generally. But I work with one of the biggest ship owners. Uh, we had about 150, 200 ships, which is a lot. Uh, so I do their legal advisory work. And now I work, I moved to Dubai a few years ago. Now I work with another shipping company called MUR. Uh, which is a big bulk carrier company and stuff like that. So that's my journey. In the middle, I've done, like I said, my master's and qualified as an English solicitor as well. So yeah. For those, I mean, you have like a really good journey. And and I, what I really like about your journey is that from the fifth year, even though you you claim that you didn't do much, and I can, I can relate because I think as localites, we just are like, okay, fine. It's just, you know, next door. It's in the same city. So we're not yeah. very serious about uh, the studies, at least for the first few years. So I can relate to that. But even then, from the beginning, you were you liked one field of law and you really went into it. Even your master's, you said, okay, I want to do it in maritime law. So that is something I find very interesting, at least from where I come. Like I was not in this. I was not like this. I was all over the place. Um, but then for somebody who doesn't know maritime law, because it really is a field that is sort of closed, closed, closed in the sense it's not a field that, you know, you have a lot of practitioners who are doing commercial litigation or commercial uh, or uh, any other corporate law. So for somebody who doesn't know what is maritime law, and if you're speaking to, let's say, students or young lawyers, how are you going to, how do you, how will you like explain to them what is maritime law? So I think you're right. It's a niche. And in India, it's even a smaller niche. Uh, considering the the arbitration and litigation situation in India generally. Having said that, listen, I think people keep forgetting this, and I keep telling people 90% of the world's trade happens by sea, right? So you think about grains, you think about, I mean, the biggest hot topic in India right now is oil. How does oil come from Russia to India, for example? It's coming by ships, right? So think about this, it's, it's a logistics chain, People understand Amazon, it's the easiest example, saying, oh, things are coming to my house, but things are coming from abroad. How are they coming? They're coming on container ships, right? So again, shipping uh, has your day-to-day -day experiences of every 
pulses you eat or anything you can use you could think about which is not in india is brought by ships uh, including cars from east coast of india to west coast or west coast to east coast depending what it is so we would it's very difficult to explain but let me put it this way if for lawyers uh, or for students who read about contract uh, third party contracts for example or law of damages when it comes for like the principle of hadley baxson did these are all shipping judgments right so shipping has a lot of history in that sense but i do on a day to day like i will think about a car this is the easiest example to give you if you're driving a car on the road what are all the issues you can have you can have a collision with two car another car that kind of disputes we do a car basically gets stuck in a muck in a beach you know we go to these beaches or oh, we want to take our cars across and then it gets stuck and you it's called grounding we have pollution when oil leaks from the ship uh, or from a car we don't care about it on a bike or a car in india but it's on a ship you think about it so those are you know we we distinguish between dry and wet wet are incidents which happen uh, like accidents or pollution uh, dry side is more contractual so it uh, it's very difficult to put in a nutshell but let's say you're renting a ship out that's what you do uh, you know various disputes come ships are not performing as they required ships engines are not performing as they have been warranted so it's a it's it's a wide variety and i'm sorry i can't probably we're probably all over the place over here but the fact of the matter is it's basic contract with a shipping twist to it which brings around our jurisdiction beyond your own country yeah i think that's the most interesting part because then you know private international law will also sort of come into what you do conflict of laws all 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 that and then you'll have a portion where there are no laws like high seas what do you do there do you do even like piracy uh, and things yeah. like that so yeah like there's two things to it public international law and private international law both comes to it uh, like you said high seas there are laws i mean we have something uh, in shipping which we call uh, the solas which is basically a convention international convention which has been brought into legislation in a lot of countries you have and rules of navigation which have come to customary practices and conventions as well uh piracy uh i've done work for the indian government on piracy uh for the companies i was when i was working in the law firm uh you do do deal with piracy fortunately it's not been as rampant as it used to be it's gone down a bit it's still there but it's uh, yes i've done piracy issues and it's uh, pirate piracy yeah it, it's it's interesting let me put it this way uh, i've also done uh, say which is interesting for people who generally is murders on a ship or stabbing incidents on a ship people oh, going God. missing on a ship and uh, these how do you go are, missing on a ship like there's a ship and there's water no how can you go missing yeah, because because you're you fall ship, into the water could fall into the water for multiple reasons yeah. and uh, uh, you know this is a conversation for some other time but people on a ship are on in water for 6 months 8 months sometimes they don't see land often uh, and life is not always easy i mean the problems we talk about today on land you think about in 6 months when you're on the ship it's a longer contract you're not with family usually so it can create issues but listen the sea can be as calm as you think it is as we see in photographs and it can be absolutely violent as we know right and uh, there are incidents which happen from time to time so Yes, there are a lot of interesting cases we've done. Uh, unfortunately, there have been deaths, but also incidents. But we we had to manage this. You know, it's it's that. 
So, uh, just to clarify, in case somebody has this question, when you say yeah. disputes, what is the forum of the of the dispute resolution? Only so, arbitration, so, maritime courts. Like, how does it go? Yeah. So, I, I would say there are two general forums, like you would find in in any other commercial matters. One is arbitration, of course, and one is courts. And I'll give you from an Indian perspective because we're probably talking to an Indian audience more. Uh, in India, the practice predominantly is interim measures. So you probably do two kinds of practices. When I say interim measures, I'm talking broadly. There's something called arresting of ships. So I have a claim against you. You own a ship. Your ship is in, in India, say in Bombay. I go and arrest the ship for my, for my claims against you. So it's a security action. That proceeds to litigation. Uh, when you have a bad case, you file a case in India because a case will take so long that you <laughs> force a ship owner to come and settle with you, right? So those are the forums in litigation. Arbitrations, a lot of disputes get arbitrated. Uh, when you're talking about Indian government companies who do contracts, you're doing arbitrations in India. But you know, big, the big charters of India, the big boys like Adani's or the Reliance of the world, will do English law. So they will have contracts which are governed by English law. Uh, mostly, mostly, and I don't say it's not a standard rule, uh, because of the roots of shipping and how England has evolved as a legal system, the certainty has meant that a lot of arbitrations are either conducted in England or conducted under English law with a seat somewhere else. So most of my work in India was doing a lot of arrest for like five years of experience or five, six years of experience or doing a lot of enforcement of awards and award has come from England and you're doing it. You did a bit of bit of shipping litigation here and there, but very rarely did it go all the way to a trial, sense of that. I did a few arbitrations, like probably about 30, 30 arbitrations in my time in the firm. So that's basically, that's the forum and that's, that's, that's the practice. I mean, most people do about, most Indian law firms will do about 20 to 30 arrests minimum in a year. That's, that's more than what I thought, actually. Yeah, that, that is, that's uh, more than, yeah, it's quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Now, because you mentioned about English law, you've given a really nice segue into my next question, which is about uh, you doing, uh, now you're also a solicitor in England and Wales. And um, is, is why did you think of doing that along because you you've been having you're having a good practice everything's going well what is what did it add to you why did you think of doing it what is the process of doing it for somebody who doesn't know how does it help you uh, yeah I think there are, there are multiple things I think firstly let me put it this way uh, education slash qualification I mean it's it's very old school but I don't think it goes to waste right so the starting point is that. Uh, secondly, why I did it personally is, like I said, uh, shipping or whenever you're dealing with international jurisdictions, cross-border uh, jurisdiction issues, uh, you're not only dealing with Indian law. It's not restricted to Indian law. So you also pick up another law and you try to reading about it. But of course, that does not mean English law. You're doing the law from everywhere else. Shipping is peculiar. Uh, it follows a lot of English law, even in India. We have a tendency of following English law, you know, not only in shipping, but other fields as well. But anyway, for me, because I was doing 60 to 70% of my work in English law, uh, I said, okay, you know what? Qualification makes sense because even with my master's, people can still ask you, wait a minute, are you qualified to give an English law advice? Because you're actually not. Uh, and, you know, in India, we give an advice on all laws, but technically you're not. And 
my ultimate aim was to try getting a job abroad or moving abroad, right? And when you start applying for jobs abroad, you're firstly an Indian lawyer, right? Your passports are difficult. Your passport A is difficult to move around. Being an Indian lawyer, uh, you know, there are different thoughts when you talk to people. There are Indian lawyers who've done amazingly well abroad, but Indian lawyers are always like, hmm, I'm not sure. You know, we don't, you've not seen the best quality with Indian lawyers. So for me, uh, I couldn't change my passport and I didn't want to change my passport. I said, you know what? I don't want to get filtered out because of my passport because that's fine if my passport filters me out. But from a qualification perspective, the first question they'll ask you, are you English qualified? And I'd be like, yeah, well, I've done English law for the past 10 years of my life. Yeah, but are you English qualified? And that became a stumbling block for opportunities abroad, even though you were qualified, when I say qualified experience in that sense, it helped there. Also, when you go to you know general counsel levels and in international companies, uh, for you to stand a good chance, it's good to be English qualified. But I would only recommend to someone to do English qualifications if they are open to the idea of working abroad. And this may not be a plan today. Like 10 years down the line, I might want to move to Singapore or Dubai or Hong Kong or wherever, that kind of a thing helps. And yeah, so it's something I would recommend, but only said anything to someone who intends to go abroad at some point of your life or keep that option. And this is not just in shipping. It can be in any other no. field of law as well. Well, it's, it's absolutely, uh, to become a, yeah, it's in every field and the exam just to, yeah, maybe the exam is, I did eight, six modules. It includes property, criminal, civil. So you're basically doing like an Indian style solicitor exam uh, with all subjects. And it doesn't make a difference in shipping or not. No. And uh, when you, you, because you spoke of the exam, I'm just going to ask you a little more yeah. about it. Uh, do you, you know, what do you need to do in order to qualify to, to take the exam? Do you need a s- specific amount of work experience, like so many years? Uh, you need some amount of basic qualification elsewhere and then something else because you also have a master's degree. Did that help you? The master's degree does not help with the qualification. That's that, that's probably the easier answer right at the moment. See, the thing has happened in England now because of the EU exit, they've changed the qualification process. So uh, what, I'm, what I did was just, I just cleared in 2022, by the way, uh, this year. But I was in the old system. I was in the older system where they had to give two exams called the QLTS, which is Qualified Lawyer Transfer Scheme. Now they've got something called the SQE. And to be very honest, if you have passed your law degree in India, you can give the exam for the SQE. But I am not very, very familiar with the SQE system. So if anyone is looking for it, uh, the SRA or the Solicitor Regulatory Authority of the UK has a brilliant write-up on their website, so I would really recommend someone to do it. But you have to do your law degree. And even if you're not a lawyer, with certain work experience, you could still do the SQE and stuff like that. So there is a path for qualification there. But I, I'm sorry, but I won't be able to really help you. Yeah, but right. check out the website. That's, that's basically it. And now that you spoke about going global and speaking yeah. about, you're working in Dubai now. How is it like working in Dubai? Because uh, this was a question that I had before I met uh, lawyers in Dubai. And I spoke to them, but I was like, okay, so you are India qualified and then you got a job in Dubai and with your India degree, okay, like it's not that you have an internet, uh, sorry, with your India uh, practice, Sanad or whatever, it's not yeah. that you have a license to practice in, in Dubai or in Singapore or elsewhere. 
so first of all how is how is it how, how do you do you is it easy to get a job there can you use your indian um advocate's license to work and you know what is what is the way that you can have a professional experience there in dubai so there are a few things i mean uh just to be like uh, before we started the podcast i did mention this as well that uh, i don't i i'm not dubai qualified so i don't have a license to practice in the uae i don't think any of us do and you need to know sharia law and this i have no personal experience of meeting any indian lawyer or as a matter of fact even like an english lawyer who's sharia law qualified so i don't practice so for my personal self i don't practice uh, dubai law at all but dubai is the one of the centers of international trade like england is like singapore is like hong kong is the us is so what happens is a lot of international companies are set up here right uh, so because a lot of international companies are set up here there is a need for qualified lawyers uh, not only from india from various places right and because most of these companies are doing international uh, international companies are doing trade outside of uae but based around uae they need lawyers who are not necessarily qualified in the uae because it makes no difference so i work purely on english law like 80% of my work is in english law i'm not even using my indian law degree or my indian law qualification at all all right uh and that's the case with a lot of people whoever's working here right uh do you need how do you get a job there's no straight jacket right there's nothing i can't tell you okay do a b c and you'll get it uh however i would point this out the kind of field you are in determines whether you have an opportunity in dubai or not or the uae or globally anyway if you're a hardcore criminal lawyer in india the chances of you getting a job in a foreign jurisdiction which has a different completely different criminal jurisprudence is quite difficult so if you're doing something with international flavor uh you know i think that helps if eventually it's how you sell yourself as a lawyer it's what kind of disputes you do if you're doing contracts contracts is matter of english right generally starting point so you don't need to be there so i i, I don't have any tips but listen it took me 10 years to get a job in dubai so and i know people who have lesser experience may not be the same kind of versatility or whatever you know but they have jobs so there's no straight jacket rule unfortunately but i would just tell you one thing is don't think that you will get a job abroad uh, just by doing criminal law criminal law or like hardcore property law in india and say i will get a job in, in dubai because for an employer they'll be like wait a minute indian property law is different than uae so you need to round your cv round your experience to something which caters to the international market and the specific local market and let me just bring this also to a conclusion saying Dubai is one of the few places where there's a lot of Indians already there, a lot of Asians, South Asians there. That does help in hiring Indians in generally, but it's a challenge because you're competing with lawyers from all over the world. You're competing with European lawyers, English lawyers, Singaporean lawyers, everywhere. So it's a different market altogether. But yeah, there's no straight jacket rule. Let me put it this way: just keep working hard. So, so essentially, it is, uh, which is a point that I really like that you brought up. That you know the field that you are in uh i don't think most people would have thought of it this way but the field that you are in determines whether you can 
uh, whether that jurisdiction will you know will welcome you or not whether you, you there is a need for you to fit in over there or not yes. and uh, the other thing that i took from what you said is you don't need any specific additional qualification to be more marketable uh, in in dubai or or maybe even elsewhere uh, and and certainly no no need for you to get uh, lo- uh, get locally certified uh, locally certified with a bar or whatever you yes. you still have as long as you have a niche that is uh, relevant to the market that you want to go into that's enough that should be sufficient yeah. and that's that's more of, that's my view of course i will always encourage people to go yeah. get get further education get more. no but this is a good starting point because uh, i've been speaking to a lot of first year writers and i keep saying this on the podcast to most of the guests who come because i i'm i'm constantly surprised at how different they are from how we were and yeah. um, they uh, so maritime law seems to be a really like you know they, there's a lot of interest you know in in maritime law and in shipping and like i want to do this and i want to do that i want to do international arbitration in shipping i mean this so much specification even at first year level that i am actually afraid of for this generation uh, just, uh, yeah I, i agree with you when i talk to them as not to the to the generation before us i mean listen they they far more they far smarter than what we were they have from far more information than what we had they very also very uh, they know what they want but there is a tendency what i feel of super specializing or using fancy words and that that's not that's every generation you know as you grow as a lawyer you have to stand out you start using fancy yeah. words when people they i want to do international arbitrations you know and uh i say okay like you've done international arbitrations but how is that different than shipping arbitration if yeah. what is the definition of international arbitration yes. so the basic fundamentals of the same yes. correct right it's contract law yeah it's evidence law yeah. it's basic things that way arbitration in uh let's could be a master in indian arbitration and not being in arbitration in india at all right you'll be doing english arbitration and we you know when i and this is an experience that i really picked up when i was doing my masters is i was talking to people who were professors there who you know 15 years arbitration experts and stuff like that and they were clueless about the issues that you face in indian law and they were even surprised that these were issues in india right so when i realized that i realized that listen you can be a master in one jurisdiction uh get your footing there it's all super cool to say Oh, I'm an international arbitration lawyer, but that has really no definition, right? So, I would really encourage students to like keep themselves open at least in the first after like five years of law when you're doing education. But then, you know, the first three years of your practice, especially, be open. Don't don't come with saying that oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, and you know, it's there are things which come in and out in ship in law all the time. Yeah. that's basically what i would just tell them yeah like uh, again you've given me an amazing segue to the next question which is uh, because we're speaking about students um yeah. and i told you that there is this great interest in maritime law uh for somebody who's a student aside from from what you just said which i completely agree with that don't be so fixated international uh, arbitration in shipping i will only focus on that you know so aside from that uh what are some of the tips that you will give a student if he wants he or she wants to get into maritime law practice and make a career like something like what you've made 
you know make a sort of global career in this field so uh, again no straight jacket rules right uh, you know there's this uh, i was just reading something in the morning like i wish i could undo all the things i did in the past <laughs> i didn't do enough of internships but when i speak to students now you know some students get in touch with me or some people who just passed out the thing with shipping is like i said like we discuss it's a niche right you don't have hundreds and hundreds of firms employing you correct so i would really recommend a student to start up doing internships see what shipping is all about see what the market is all about the only way you learn about it is when you talk to people right so you got 5 years of law or at least 2 to 3 years where you can do internships or at least 6 months of internships or 12 months of internships in your 5 years do at least 2 to 3 shipping internships so that is the only way you will learn or like shipping there are few universities in india which offer shipping as a course uh very few but uh i don't think that's the right way and whatever you read you're probably you know unless you have some connection in shipping which i don't you're not really going to pick it up do internships see whether you like it or not uh the only and i'll put this as an apprehension which people have doing shipping internships they are oh i've done like a shipping internship how is it helpful to me if i want to now be commercial litigation right i want to do commercial litigation right so that's a concern which is there because it's a super specialized field uh my answer to that is simple again and i go back contract arbitration evidence the three pillars or cpc for example civil procedure the four pillars in shipping are not very different than anyone is doing commercial so my recommendation is work do internships then i can't tell you the bookish knowledge do not waste money on a masters immediately after your law school because masters for me is the easiest answer to do oh i've done shipping masters but you know people don't end up uh, working in that field a masters is a you know the subject to become a master so i would recommend that work and then if you like it then think of other studies but internships is the right way of really progressing in this one and for those who want to pivot from they are already legal practitioners yeah. in another field they just want yep. to pivot into shipping because it's again a very different field how how do they just get in you know just find a job in a shipping firm how will that happen if you don't have any background again i think uh, listen i mean i'm just thinking about i know very few people who done that jump from not shipping to shipping but i know there's a big interest with some of the bigger indian firms to start getting a shipping practice right so uh there are two ways so i'll just probably with your liberty i'll just modify one is jumping into the maritime space in a different you know maritime law firm but even within a firm which is like a big indian law firm they may want to start up a maritime practice and that is something which is a niche and i think it can give you a another chance opportunity to beat another partner who's basically is an expert in commercial litigation but not shipping litigation so people who want to pivot i think again it's about marketability remember you're getting into a niche so when you're getting into it think about how if you don't like it after a year two years or three years how are you going to sell your self back to another firm if i was selling myself to a shipping firm i'll say listen i know court systems i know cpc evidence arbitration i'm well versed with that i'm okay with substantive law i can do this of course shipping terminology has its uniqueness but it's not rocket science and i'm ready to learn and you know i mean uh, 
as a lawyer, you, I mean, it's, it sounds very cliche again, but the day you think you know enough or you know a lot, that's the end of your career, right? So it's, it's basically, if someone wants to pivot, I'll be openness to learning, openness to being surprised how things which you are used to is not what shipping probably looks at it in a very different way. So yeah, that, that's basically it, yeah. To, to wrap up this segment of the podcast, um, you've had this really nice global experience. And like you said, you work a lot with English law. Uh, so now that now you can really get a comparative perspective of India, the legal system in India and how it is abroad. So what, what do you think are some of the advantages that we have in the Indian legal system? Some of the fallouts that we have and truly, I think we all can work together to make our system better because it's almost broken today. The entire system is almost broken. So, uh, listen, I, I can probably write a book on the on the negatives we have, yeah, in the legal system. I'm not even getting into the political side of it. That's that's a discussion for another day. But and I'll talk about the advantages later because I want to end that this segment on a happier note than a a, a more thoughtful note. Listen, I think there's a bit of a contradiction in India where people think lawyers is, people who are running law firms or lawyers are not running for profit. I mean, this is, uh, it's an absolute uh, thought from, I don't know, thousands of years ago, right? So when lawyers are not exposed to negligence issues of giving wrong advice, then you get Indian lawyers, and I'm not saying Indian lawyers, sorry, don't get me wrong. And lawyers generally say, oh, don't worry, I'll handle it. If someone comes to me and tells me I want to do a property dispute, I will tell them, listen, I'm not an expert in property. So for me, the client interest is important. But in India, someone who does has no idea about shipping will say, ah, shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, of course. There's no accountability. And you like you, 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 the first thing you said is my pet peeve, okay, about our profession. Like if it's a doctor, your patient can die. You know, it's yeah. like that. But we have no accountability. So you're exactly. right. And the accountability has to come from the judicial system where the entire, I mean, I'm talking theory here, but look, there's so much criticism. I've seen that Supreme Court judgment where they were speaking about English law firms being set up in India. We are talking, living in this blind world where law firms are charging tons of money, making tons of profit, but there's no accountability, right? So accountability and the client, Listen, in India, clients will say, are lawyers? Oh, lawyers. Oh, liars. It's a joke everywhere. But there's no recourse, right? And if there's no recourse, your legal system will never improve. The quality of lawyers will never improve because you're not reprimanding lawyers. So this is something I feel on an international stage. And as I'm not saying there are tons of Indian lawyers working abroad, but they will give you similar examples where as an Indian lawyer, you have to work that much harder to prove that you're quality. Okay? That's one. Secondly, I think, and I'm going to put this only as a second point, is in commercial matters, there's no cost consequence. Now, cost consequences for people who are listening is you go to a court, you have a, you win a judgment, your lawyer's fee is, you're paying tons of money to the lawyer, but you're not recovering anything from the other side. Do you lose a case? There's no exposure. It's the Commercial Courts Act in India has provisions for it. The CPC has provisions for it. But we have taken this view that no, no, no. Why should we be putting costs? 
So now, two things. Lawyers are charging, so clients are paying. You can get rubbish litigation. If you started imposing costs on clients on losing a case, you would have more people talking today with each other saying, let's try settling it. I don't want to pay a lawyer. I'd rather pay you the money, right? So that's the approach I think which is there. We are one of the world's most highly litigious countries in the world. I, I mean, I don't have the stats with me, but I can tell you in Singapore arbitrations, for example, Indians and Chinese are one of the highest litigation uh, parties, right? We're very litigious. What are we changing? We keep gripping. We don't have enough judges. We don't have our court systems are slow. This is because we're encouraging people just to come to court, file, with due respect, rubbish, unmeritorious applications, and then those dragging on. Because the court system then allows you to drag the matter on for years and years and years. And it's easy to blame the judges. So cost implication, I think, is important. It will improve lawyer quality. It will improve judgeship quality. And it will improve client quality to try really looking at the dispute in a very commercial manner. And I'm saying this very clearly. I meant to start it, commercial disputes, not will issues, not family disputes, not marital disputes, completely different field. So yeah, that's the other, the, 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 you know, the disadvantage of it. And then, like I said, I can write a book, but no, that's not the point. The advantage of the legal system is this. One is the right of audience. We don't have the distinction in India uh, of, we have the advocate system, predominantly like Bombay wants to be and Calcutta probably wants to be uh, <laughs> yeah, separate, but you know, the, the advocate system is generally there, which means that you are, you have the right to audience, uh, which if used properly, it can be, it's very helpful because you get the confidence. You can see what is going on in court. You're able to get the access to the court. So that's, uh, that's the one good thing I would believe as an advocate system. It doesn't have the barrister, Solicitor system. You know, it, it's a bit of bias in my view, uh, which is there. Secondly, I think uh, I, I I think approaching courts is not expensive, and I know it's contradictory to my my you know the disadvantage. But if because the legal system is designed in a way where approaching courts is inexpensive, it basically allows litigants, and this is I mean not commercial, not the big. Not the big commercial guys, but people like ordinary people to reach to the court uh, seeking relief. And I'm not going to comment on recent examples, but say, for example, you and me could apply to court on a PIL, for example, and, you know, seek relief. It's not that expensive to go to court. So I think that's an advantage uh, of the legal system that we have. So, yeah. That's very, that's very good answer. I'm telling you, Siddharth, I would rate this answer as the best answer we've got on the podcast so far. Because both the points that you made are so relevant and uh, and really thought thought out points you've made. Because uh, the first one about no, none of us having any accountability, uh, that is my pet peeve. But I never thought of the cost angle to it. And I never thought of it like that. Uh, in one of my litigations, which we won and the other side lost. And uh, we had put in a hell of a lot of money into the litigation when I was a counsel, a legal counsel. And so we insisted on costs. We went to division bench on costs. Can you even imagine that it went to division bench on costs? And after doing all this tamjam, you know how much we got as costs? 500 rupees. Like 500 rupees. It was beyond ridiculous what happened it's, to us. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Another and example. you know, when, when it is an international company, you're dealing with non-Indians, uh, foreigners. 
and they're like what the hell is happening and they're screaming breathing down your neck because uh, they want costs like the management want, wants costs so you are pushing for costs yeah. and then what do you have to show you you have 500 rupees to show it's less than 10 dollars you know it's ridiculous yeah, let me put it this way i mean this india is not a unique system where costs are not awarded i'm not going to say there are costs awarded in india from time to time there's no certainty on costs that's the issue as practitioners america probably has a similar concept but you know what in india unlike the american system you will have to go to court 20 times to get a judgment maybe 20 times an understatement to get a hearing so it's very different right so uh, i think in india where we have an issue of so many judgments so many judgments pending cases backlogs this is a solution and to what you're saying you know my first experience when i came back from singapore was i had to take an adjournment on a for one of the clients on a compensation issue on a death compensation the the husband had passed away the company had paid the compensation but as is usual some lawyer said you know you can get more compensation you know it's always how it works it's fine that's normal but this this case was dragging on for years i went in there and my entire instructions were to get an adjournment i got an adjournment and the judge basically fired me for i think 10 minutes about how the entire conduct was there and then he said i'm going to impose costs and i said well i have no choice but to accept whatever you cost you to impose and it will be 1000 rupees you know and i was like my clerk was like so 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 tell him like 500 i said it's 1000 rupees you know like this is probably my travel cost coming all the way from naraman point to the court and going back in a taxi not in my legal fee so this is where it becomes imbalanced and i this is what i feel uh, a lot of unmeritorious dragging on will stop this is i'm sorry but this is philosophical but this is basically what i feel i feel from a pragmatic perspective so, i agree and i think we can connect a lot more on practical uh, and work related uh, frustrations like this that we went through <laughs> but to to move things along uh, and and to go to the next sort of simpler uh, like the more sort of fun part of the podcast cuz i just want to get we you just want to get to know you yeah i thought it was more complicated the second i know you part. told me that are yaar oh, i am like all of them seem similar so i'm going to do my best to ask you from different no. perspective um no. but so essentially it's like 5 4 3 2 1 ask you five of something four of something three of something whatever and uh, this is just to know you better as a person and also yeah. to take some good tips from because i've really learned a lot from whoever has come uh, especially on this question that i'm going to ask you which is five productivity tips or routines i can use all the help that i can to be more productive so for you so for me there are a few things i've learned as listen I mean, i'm still not productive as i would like to be uh, be more productive always less i was in office would be my productivity you know like uh, ideally i want to get to that stage but listen uh, i thought of this i thought organization was something which helped me i was not very organized when i started off but being very organized not putting my hands everywhere i'm doing one dispute of course i have 10 disputes to handle but when i'm doing it I'm off everything else. So that's organization. I do it. I do a good job and get out. Uh, we are not multitaskers. We uh, men surely are not. <laughs> Women may be better, <laughs> but 
because I believe in being very, very uh, particular what I'm going to do, and I don't give advice to anyone, even in my law firm days, I'm very clear. Organization is helpful. I'm only organized if my fight is organized and I'm organizing my thoughts. So organization, clearly important. Professionalism is another tip. It's ingrained in me. I, uh, I think it's, if I'm telling you 11 o'clock means I will be there at 11 o'clock. Uh, it's a habit, Indian standard time. I will not oversell. I will not undersell, but I will certainly not oversell. So it's a professional. It's not a, it's not a routine or a thing, but it's a tip which I can only tell people because I always think the thing, look at things in a bigger picture. It's not about my relationship with you today. It's about my relationship 10 years down the line, 15 years on the line, and from a client lawyer perspective, basically. Two things. Uh, third, I think it's reading. It's it's there's no substitute to reading. Uh, unfortunately, we're lawyers in a stream. Having said that, optimum use of technology is very important. So read about how there are technological developments in the legal field and how you as the youngsters will fit in. People like you and me will survive. But you know, there are things like People, if they have the time to Google this, or Ross, the attorney, like Friends Ross, the attorney. It's a legal online platform which is giving you data, research, and stuff like that. So as students, you need to see what's going on in the market and how it improves productivity as well. Now, these are the three tips, but listen, the two most important things. There's life outside of law and law life outside of the legal profession. So please... Get in hobbies, get an interest. You meet new people outside law. We have this incestual relationship between lawyers where we only want to be between ourselves and talk about how you are so great. And I, oh, my firm, I've done a deal of 100, billion, 100 million. Oh, I've done 500 million. It makes no difference. Your salary is in the, in the same, right? Uh, and your bonuses are almost similar. But get a life. Have your hobby, have your interest. That's a way of socializing uh, with people as well. So that's very important and give it time. Don't get burnt out. Secondly is holidays and breaks. You know, uh, it's not linked to your hobby and interest because hobby and interest is a day-to-day -day affair. If you're not going to do holidays, you're not going to do breaks, you're going to be living in this cocoon. You see all our senior councils, you see all the councils in the Bombay High Court or Delhi High Court, they're going on holidays. In a law firm, you don't have this concept, but you need to. Again, you meet new people, you meet new culture, and you stop living in a bubble. And that's what I would really tell people. Yeah, so. Good answer, Siddharth. But my favorite of your answer was the professionalism bit yeah. that, you, that you spoke about. Because uh, in, internationally, we don't see it so much. Like, especially lawyers uh, like you or like any... any even those who are in India who work regularly with international clients or who are part of bigger law firms, there's no problem. Like if you say 11.30, you're there at 11.30, you're there at 11.29, okay, you're not even there at 11.30. We start at 11.30. Um, but then the lawyers, not just lawyers, everybody that we meet on everyday basis, it's like I have to reach at 6 o'clock and at 5.55, I'm like, I'm still stuck in court. Like which court? Please explain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, and then... I can't meet you. Like, can you wait? And uh, it has happened where, you know, especially as legal counsels in an international company, you're taking some of your witnesses who've flown in from other countries because um, they, they have to appear before someone. And then people do stupid things like that or your 
offices are closed or you don't respond to emails on time or the favorite of this generation which i have i'm finding shocking i hope i hope i don't put anyone off by this but uh, i've had people telling me i'm really sorry uh, today is saturday i can't work on saturdays like what's uh, happening <laughs> i think there's a balance and i'll be very honest uh, i think there's a balance of working and weekends i understand where the younger generation comes from like i said they're far more yeah actually that that's true also like yeah. in a way i i do admire them because we were yeah. like yeah yeah kabhi bhi bulao kabhi bhi raat ko bhi bulao we'd be there yeah exactly three o'clock in the morning your lawyer is your boss is calling you four o'clock your boss is calling you uh i think the only answer i would tell younger generation is of course there's if, listen it's very fluid it's a we can't talk about working cultures because working cultures and law firms can or any company can be absolutely horrendous to professionalism works both ways as a you have a professional commitment to do something you will try finishing your part of the job and as a firm as firms as well they have to be professional because and we are not uh, donkeys running all the time we can't be as hard working as donkeys unfortunately so yeah that's where it is the next because you mentioned reading and it's my favorite yeah. favorite topic because i love to read uh, tell me four books that you would recommend anybody should read i i keep telling this to people and they find it funny like uh, uh, lawyers as again a cliche the lawyers read about i read a lot of law but i don't read like books for leisure <laughs> so no but listen i have completely uh, there are few books which i like reading from because i think law is strategy it's a lot of chess especially in contentious litigation but also in corporate deals you're doing a lot of that so one is the art of war by sunzu right it's it's a lovely book and most of these books which i'm going to say like i'm sure the younger generation has read it but this is a book which i was found fascinating and it's a book where you can really use it in the legal uh, sense and as a lawyer as well uh talking to strangers it's a book by malcolm Gladwell, uh, Gladwell, by the yeah, it's again perceptions about you know we as humans and as lawyers is the worst thing to have is prejudging things. So there is a this book is fascinating about people from different cultures and how different things can mean different, uh, have different reactions about how, for example, Hitler was misunderstood by a lot of people. Everyone thought he was a great guy, but what he eventually did was you know so. it's talking to strangers and that's a very interesting book uh, from a lawyer perspective i feel as a lawyer from a human touch perspective uh the third thing because i keep saying law is a business it's about building a brand right so i've not i there going to be these books please reach people to read phil knight it's called the shoodog the guy from nike right uh phil knight who was basically a nike founder and steve jobs his autobiographies it gives you a perspective about being perfectionist being a, you know how you present things we take it for granted as lawyers it's not important but it's very important and the last thing i'll tell people to read and maybe it's not reading because there's no book probably i read a lot of articles of this this was just a fascinating case for me uh of oj simpson right i mean there's an entire netflix series on this but that's a story for a lawyer to read to think about all factors which can come in dealing with a judgment the human interpersonal skills and i think it's a fascinating story i mean we have similar stories in india 
the one jury case, which was the last jury case probably in India as well. But this has been recorded really well, the O.J. Simpson trial, where anyone who read it would come to a conclusion that this guy is guilty. But at the end of the day, he was not guilty. And as a lawyer, that was purely strategy and playing on evidence. So those are the things. I mean, I give you an extra thing, but yeah. Uh, good, uh, good choice of books. Different, different. Uh, all of them are different genres, basically. Yeah. I've never, I haven't read Talking to Strangers. Uh, everything else on your list, I have. Uh, yeah. But how you felt when it comes to Talking to Strangers, I actually felt like that when I read Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. I, I felt yeah. similarly, although the uh, the premise is absolutely different. They are antithetical, actually, but. Uh, that's how I felt when I read Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. Now, um, even though you have said this in and through the podcast, uh, if there are three tips that you want to give young lawyers, general tips for young lawyers. Listen, I mean, I think this is such a, uh, like I told you five years of law, I never went to law school. Right? So, <laughs> but listen, most people over here, it's the five, last five years of your life where you're going to be studying. Most, most people. So please enjoy it. Yes. There is a professional life which is going to take me very taunting, very hard, a lot of pressures. This is the five years of law study, but please enjoy your university life. Not, don't be careless, but enjoy it. Right? This is the last probably years of your life of responsibility. No responsibility that much. Again, the cliche, I think there's no substitute to hard work. Uh, yes, Google gives you easy answers, but Google will give you answers if you know the right question to ask. Important so. Google lawyers, Google doctors, we've seen how great they do it. Yes, yes. But you're not going to be excelling as a lawyer. Uh, you will not hear Mr. Justice Nariman or any of your lawyers of Fali Nariman reading Google. Even if they had access to Google, Google is a support tool, but it's not, it could be a starting tool only. Third, very important, law is a business. Socialize, meet people outside your screen because those are your clients. Uh, lawyers to lawyers, they're going to be your competitors eventually. So you have to go and meet people beyond. So those are the three, you know, tips to young students. I never got it as a kid. I always told, oh, wait a minute, padai karo, study, study, study. Yes, studying is important because we all have to pass our law degrees. But improve your skills, interpersonal skills, very important. Uh, and I'm going. While you were speaking, this just occurred to me and I, I did not ask you in the first section, so I'm just going to take a minute mm -hmm. to ask you, uh, what about mooting for uh, law, uh, young lawyers or law students who want to get into shipping law? You think mooting helps, like moot experience? Uh, I actually had that in my mind and I forgot about it. Uh, I think mooting is very important. It gives you a flavor of what shipping is all about. There are at least three moots that I know of. One which is done by the University of uh, NLU Odisha on the shipping dispute. I know the one, uh, the National University in uh, Kochi does it as well. And there's this international moot called the IMLA, uh, which happens in different countries from time to time. They have a shipping moot as well. I'm not sure if Bombay was going to introduce something, but I think mooting is a great experience to get a flavor of what shipping is all about. Because I think this year, GLC's moot, uh, I don't know which moot of GLC, one of the moots was on shipping. And, you know, so definitely there's a lot of interest uh, among the students on shipping. Okay, so now two life lessons that you've learned, that you have learned in and through your life so far. 
very difficult to life lessons i think uh, <laughs> I, i struggled with this question a lot but i only going to say i think maybe maybe i move this uh, uh i think a story i know this is a hearsay story and it's not a story but it was a lesson to me for sure uh very famous story in a court in hyderabad where one of the senior counsel was flown from the supreme court uh to do a matter he was he reached the court someone was already arguing you know they were all on the same side of the bench and uh his counsel with him or whatever who was there before him had already started he kept on arguing and the judge was very convinced with the arguments for him so the senior counsel didn't didn't speak to say a word and the client was there the high saying listen i paid this guy tons of money to fly from delhi to here why is he not talking uh about 20 minutes in i think the the counsel just left right and of course the client started jumping around and then the the instructing advocate went running to the to the counsel saying listen what client wants you to talk uh you been paid so much money uh so please talk say something court and the statement was there and i not quoting him but it was like as a lawyer i am paid not to speak but to know when to speak and this is such an important lesson not only in litigation but in every field of law especially when we have a habit of writing long advices and just wanting oh i've got paid i need the judge has to listen to me. no uh people don't need to listen to you i need to know to talk when i know i need to talk and that is the art anyone can talk for hours i can shout we have great examples on indian media uh, news channels courts where shouting is happening it's fine but the point is in a court room or in court legal artistry is knowing when to talk and what to talk and that's the life lesson i think is very important uh, as well i think that's the two life one life lesson i want to really share with you is this thing for example and the second thing like i said i am touched upon it is uh don't go in any field or any discussion saying i know everything uh you know i've dealt with a senior counsel who had no idea about a matter that i spoke to him the first time the second time i mean this was like he knows zero i know 100 in that kind of a issue then he knows 50 i know 100 the second time i met him the third time i met him he knows 120 i know 100 you know so what it really taught me is uh you can never know enough and you can know but be open read so the senior counsel could simply say oh whatever siddharth is saying he's got about 7 years experience i'm going to go with what he knows and that's it but he didn't go with that he took my thing and gave it that much better so that's another lesson so keep never i mean it's a such a ordinary thing i'm telling you but it's so important very very important because humility really is uh, extremely underrated uh, and certainly extremely underrated to your own success as a professional uh, yeah. and then you learn hard lessons you know so you might as well not save yourself that spare yourself the heartache and just stay humble and stay focused and finally what is the best advice that you have received ah oh, many 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 uh, but uh... again uh, the one i would like to give the one i have received which i would like to share 
is probably the more appropriate one is legal knowledge is one third of the law or one third of being the buyer, right? There are things beyond legal knowledge which are important. Okay, interpersonal skills, marketing, uh, you know, all those things which come from outside, which is not considered cliche lawyer work, you need to work. Presentations, how you give presentations, how you speak, those are the things which sell. Uh, knowing law, no client wants to hear 50 pages or 20 pages of opinion. He will want to understand in a nutshell, what is my position and that's it. And that is something which is very important. That's the life lesson I have picked up and I will share with students for sure. Yeah, and most relevant for our jurisdiction, I think, because we we are ponderous. Uh, we are ponderous when we write, uh, and all of us are trained like that. Even each of each one of us are trained like that. We are ponderous when we speak, uh, and it's it's really hard to get over it. Like I'm struggling. I don't think I'm even like ten percent into the journey of being, like you said. Tell me in a nutshell what is my position. That's it. Everything else you can keep with yourself. You know, all of your. Uh, sections yeah. and your if this happens then if that happens then but what should happen now you know so mm, I, I think I, I I work my my image at senior the place I work is an English lawyer mm. and uh, when I write and he writes I can see the crystal listen English is not our first language it's probably our first learning language but it's not our first language like people like to we want to as Indians say English is our first language no it's not it's probably uh, one of the first almost first language, but no, it's not. I mean, first, it's, you know, that's wrong. It's a myth. We don't speak crisply because in school, you've been told to uh, write long answers. Otherwise, you will not get marks. But that's fine. It's all law school. You have to, you know, pass. Christmas is very important and being very clear. It comes with time. I mean... Uh, it comes with time. No, but, you know, it also comes the way you're trained because it's ironic that we have sort of taken from English law uh, but they have just dropped that ponderous way of writing like 20, 50 years ago, I think. They have stopped writing in that ponderous way or maybe even longer than that. We continue, you know, we continue writing in the passive voice, passive voice. We continue, you know, writing uh, one paragraph is one sentence uh, with putting all kinds of conjunctions in between. And even I learned to change my drafting style from a Queen's Council. Was like, what? Not just like through the draft and said, this is rubbish. You know, by the time somebody gets through this draft, they're just going to lose sight of what you're saying. So, uh, I think that's you're right. true. I'm just going to say one more thing here. Like, when I, as recent as uh, 2019, when I was, when I initially planned to give my second part of my English qualification, there is a writing test as well. So, you have to write legal letters and submissions, whatever they may be. I did about, they have these uh, online classes and where, they're giving you tips. I did one hour of this thing and it, my mind got crazy because it had to change every way I wrote, right? Everything I was writing, oh, this is how you written, but uh, no, you, instead you can write this way. I stopped doing it because, hey, okay, I want individuality. I want my own writing style, but I picked up one thing. There are, we could be more bang on the point. And you know, I mean, uh, I, I deal with a few law firms who I talk to on a very personal level. And I keep telling them that, Clients are not interested in your case laws. So anyway, that that that's something which is there to pick up on a larger training perspective and a yeah, basically it. Thanks, Siddharth. You've given your. I love talking to you today because you were very honestly. You were very prepared. 
because you already you already had the answers in your mind uh, but more than that you've really given thought to what you want to share and it was so valuable to me and i'm sure to the audience who's listening and whoever will continue to listen ahead so thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your time so generously this morning on a weekend and hopefully i'll see you if i ever come yeah. to dubai or, or if i come to india or if I you come to bombay yeah my absolute pleasure i am yes. super i am really not happy that you're doing something like this like i said thank you it's not something which we had at a time but i hope gonna... yeah i hope it no. because the the uh, law students today are really motivated as in first year rights like you mentioned you were partying i was dancing i was a bharatanatyam dancer and i was doing professional bharatanatyam dancing i'm just showing up for the exams had nothing yeah. to do with uh, like you know, didn't, didn't care so much um, oh. and but nowadays the first year rights are really passionate i mean i, mean, I would never be able to say i want to do international commercial arbitration and shipping in my yeah. first year so yeah. i i think we should give back uh, No, I get it, and I think you have enough time to be very focused in life after your yes, three years, or five years of law, whatever you're yeah. doing. Please study, but enjoy. Like party yeah. was one thing for me. Sports, I played a lot of sports. Yeah. Whatever, like I said, hobby, interest. You don't want to be burnt out in three years of law. Yes, yes, But very true. Practicing is as it's you know I I have a more inappropriate way of saying it, but the appropriate way of saying it as you get your hair white. Hmm. Um, the more is your value it works with doctors in india it works with lawyers in india yes yes so you have a long journey it's a marathon yes yes thanks siddharth yeah thank you so much thank you so much and yes. we'll see with we'll you soon yes thank you so much bye bye